Live from Pacific Junction Hotel, Girth Radio in session. You'll be a bright light coming out of the dark. All the doctors blinking hard. You'll be lightning coming out of the storm. It's a message, it's a
Welcome. My name is Kareem Kanji. Thanks for joining me. Today, my guest is an artist, a designer, technologist, business owner, and father. Kareem Awad joins me today. You remember the first time we uh, we met each other? Yeah, in real life or or uh, online. I uh, I guess in today's day and time, online would matter, right? Yeah, I guess so. That was probably on Twitter. On Twitter? Yeah, I think you posted something about any sports fans that wanted That's to do right. anything with social. That was the first time? Yeah, because I was living down in uh, Connecticut, and I was starting to creep on people in Toronto because I knew I was moving back up here. Ah. <laughs> See, I thought the first time was actually when we did meet because that other stuff came later, right? No. No, no, no. That was it. In real life, it was uh, at the Starbucks in Don Mills. Starbucks in Don Mills. Okay, yeah. so I remember that, but didn't that happen before the sports stuff? Yeah. Or did it all sort of happen it together? It all happened together. It all happened together. So I was up from New Haven for that weekend. New Haven. Yeah, New Haven, Connecticut. What was happening in New Haven, Connecticut? My wife was getting a master's degree from Yale University. And you yes, went to give her yeah, support, yeah. like hold her hand? Uh, no, I didn't <laughs> want to live apart from her for two years. <laughs> I wanted to live with my wife. So, uh, yeah, we, we lived out in New Haven, Connecticut for a few years. It was fantastic. Okay. Yeah. What happens like in, in New Haven? What school is there, by the way? Yale. Shit. Yale, Yale University. Y- Yale University. <laughs> the Yale University, yeah. You married up. I sure did. <laughs> and I got to have a nice uh, student affiliate card, which looked exactly like a Yale card, so I got to enjoy the benefits of being a Yaley. What, what actually being a Yaley. Like, if you're, like, you're allowed to go in the cafeteria? Uh, the library, the sports events. I got discounts around town. I got to go to the free concerts that they held every year. Nice. Yeah. Got to see the, the Queen of Jordan, Queen Rania, speak. Aziz wow. Ansari. Uh, comedian, a bunch, yes, nice. The comedian Aziz, I'm sorry, <laughs> not, the other, not the other, not the other Aziz. I'm sorry. <laughs> is, is there another? I don't know I, if there's I'm another. Sure, one. there must be another. There one. might be. There's so many Kareem's in this room. Yes. There must be another Aziz. Yes. I'm sorry, somewhere. Um, so your wife went to Yale. Where did you go? Well, I met her at the uni- uh, University of Waterloo. Okay. Waterloo. That's what got me into Canada. Oh, so oh. Okay, so both of you went to Waterloo? Yeah. Both of you did your undergrad there? Yes. She decided she needed to be a little bit smarter, went to Yale. No. No. Well, yes, eventually. eventually. So she decided to be extra smart and did her master's of, so- of social work yeah. at Laurier. At Laurier. Yeah. And then? Decided to become a different type of smart and became a nurse at the University of Toronto. Okay, and, and then, then became, oh my God. got a master's of nurse practitioner. You know, we need to uh, get your wife. I think your wife's yeah, life so is I'm, more exciting. What I'll do is I'll pause <laughs> we'll and just pause go get her. And we'll go get her. <laughs> yeah. So what? Okay, so let's let's start from your like. So you went you. Let's talk about you now. Okay, okay. Christy's far more important than yeah, I am. But so, uh, let's talk to me. I same thing with me. Like you know, what do we do? We play with numbers and yeah. things like that. Um, so Waterloo, what'd you what'd you study at Waterloo? Uh, fine arts. I Fine art, a, a painting specialization. Yeah, I'm a painter. Nice. By trade. Yeah. That's, so what's like what? What prompted you to get into? Because I mean, when you think about Waterloo, mm-hmm. you think about engineering, computer science, things like that. Um, yeah. No, actually, no one necessarily thinks about fine arts and Waterloo, or maybe they do. No, they don't. Um, and that was one of the things that was in, really enticing about it. So I went to Waterloo because I I wasn't really sure what I wanted to study. Mm-hmm. I wasn't sure if I wanted to do computer science or architecture or fine arts or something else. Okay. Waterloo had really good programs and all of those things. I didn't want to go to an art school because I didn't want to deal with all the like hipster art school kids. Yeah. Uh, and so 
I did a couple of computer science courses, and I didn't want to deal with all the math that I would have had to do. Uh, to do. <laughs> so I uh, was like, shoot, I could spend four years in a math lab. Yeah. Not a meth lab, a math A math. Lab. Computer science in a in a crappy concrete building, or I could spend four years in an art studio in a crappy concrete building and have a really really good time and learn uh, art. So and were you chose. were you taking some computer science at Waterloo, or was this back like in high school? No, I, I did I did a bunch of math and uh, some computer stuff in in high school, and then also in our local university in Ohio where I where I grew up. We okay, could, uh, in high school. If you placed out of the uh, the classes at high school level, you could go and do like first year college classes. Oh, nice! But those didn't transfer, so I would have had to ah. do like so started all over again, again. And I was like, "There's no way I'm doing those again." Uh, so yeah, I decided I'll do a couple computer science courses, but my focus would be fine art, and I, I never regret that decision. So what, what what was it in your I guess your upbringing that prompted you or that that fed your interest and desire for for the arts uh that has to go back for sure my parents my my mom was crazy into classical music and musicals and theater and all of that kind of stuff composer was she like an artist herself no or? not at all she okay. can't sing she is <laughs> uh she would w- run around the house singing different songs from like My Fair Lady or Sound of Music or things like that. And she's not a very good singer, but she loved it so much. Yeah. And that kind of passion really, uh, really inspired me for sure. I mean, I, I grew up every morning. We'd listen to uh, NPR. Yeah. National Public Radio. And that was like half news and half classical music all the time. So I, I, had, a, I had a taste of that growing up all the time. And like for my dad... He was always a uh, had a bit. Of, he was a huge entrepreneur and had a big had a big like um, creative spirit in regards to that. Mm-hmm. And one of his best friends from growing up, like when they were when they were both little tiny kids, was one of my earliest mentors and who's a who's a painter, who's an artist. Yeah, and uh, that just in, that was always that always stuck with me to have to have that kind of history and that kind of connection between. My dad and one of his closest friends that was always uh, inspiring to me. Now, were you, I don't know if you remember, but were you one of those kids who would go to school and paint something or draw something or, you know, make something at school and then bring it and your parents would like put it on the wall, on the fridge and display it all over? No, no. <laughs> I mean, my mom really liked the things that I that I did, but it was never a, ooh, this is fantastic. Let's put this on the fridge. And never, yeah. it was never really like that. She just appreciated what was there, but it was never... It was never really showcased. I, I, to be honest, I didn't. I, I focused on music quite yeah. a bit, like when I was growing up. So I played like uh, vi- I started off playing piano. No way. And then I learned viola, and then French horn. Viola is like a mini violin or something. No, it's a bigger violin. Is it a bigger yeah, one? Bigger okay. violin. Yeah, it's it's one note deeper than a violin. Ah. Uh, so yeah, I grew up playing music, and and then I was in a, a few different bands, and I would always do like art like drawing or painting or sculpture or stuff like that but music was 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 uh, a bigger deal for me in high school mm. which is always so bizarre to me now because I don't really I still have my viola I don't really play it very often and I haven't like been in a band or done anything like that for a really long time I've DJed and things like that I still love music yeah completely but um fine art took over like painting you went into the painting over, yeah how yeah. would you describe your style? Like I've seen your stuff, and it like to me like I, I don't get it. But it looks nice. 
Uh, but there's a style to it. Like you've got actually like a process. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, if if you want to be really technical about it, it's like geometric abstraction. So a lot of people compare what I do to Mark Rothko because I do a lot of color fields, so big pieces of color. But I don't really, if you ask Mark Rothko, if he were still alive, yeah, rest in peace, Mark, uh, he would never say that any my work is at all close to his, at all. What would he say it is? Well, so his was his is very, very, very different than mine. Yeah. They just, on the surface, sometimes they look the same. Mm. Uh, I do a lot of process. So, like you mentioned, um, there's like 20 to 30 layers of paint on every one of my paintings. Like Even though when you look at it, you can't tell that there is. No, if you if you were just looking at it from a distance, you'd say, okay, cool, there's lots of white, lots yeah. of primary colors, lots of flat pieces of color. Yeah. And then when you get closer, you realize, oh, that's not a flat blue. There's like 30 blues there. Or there's 10 different whites. Interesting. Yeah, so white is the color that I paint with most. Yeah. And I mix my own because I, I, I always want different colors of white. Interesting. Yeah. I wish I got it, but I don't get it, but it's interesting. Well, that's, yeah, I mean... What I'm hoping to do with my paintings, yeah, uh, I don't really care if anybody gets the technical aspect of it. If, sure. If, if you want to dig deep and you want to realize why I do what I do and how I do it, yeah, that's different. Yeah. Uh, ideally, I just want you to have some kind of reaction to it. If you like it aesthetically, that's cool. Yeah. If you want to get deeper into it, you want to look at some of my titles, you want to look at how uh, I came across the composition, that kind of stuff. That's that's great too. But um, my interaction with the with the viewer is extremely varied, and I I don't. It doesn't matter to me, really. I don't paint for other people as much as I, nearly as much as I paint for myself. So, what's the last piece that you've drawn that you've painted? So, because of the change in my familial lifestyle, I yeah. had recently a year a year ago had two tw- bouncing twin boys, and so I can't really paint with the toxic stuff that I used to. I used to paint really oh. large oil paintings. That was my thing. Yeah, like large. I mean, my biggest. I did a series of six paintings that were eight foot by six foot. Wow. Huge panels. Yeah. Uh, so now I've switched to do non-toxic mm-hmm. watercolor on paper. Okay. Watercolor and acrylic and things like that. Same on, style, on though? Same style, Geometric much abstract? smaller. So they're, okay. they're about 15 inches by 15 inches. And uh, I have a series of 12 of those that I'm working through right now. I have six done, and I have six more to go. And are these, are these a series of, in terms of, you're drawing 12 of them, but are, is it, do they tell one story altogether? No, no, not necessarily. Generally, what happens my my paintings tend to take on the way that I'm feeling. So if I'm feeling pretty calm, not stressed, things around me are are pretty you know even keeled. That comes across in a lot of my work. If I'm stressed, if a lot of stuff's going on, that'll come across as well. So what I try to do is I I, I use my sna- my paintings as a bit of a snapshot of the way that I'm feeling, the way that I'm thinking about the world, the way that I'm interacting with everything around me. Mm-hmm. Um, at one point, I was doing a lot of work that felt like portraits. These were almost like self-portraits, even though they, visually they didn't look like self-portraits, but the, 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 the process of me doing them was essentially a self-portrait of me at a certain time. Hmm. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so, so this And this style of yours started at Waterloo? Yeah, yeah. Really, my uh, third and fourth year of university, I had a good core group of friends. Nice. Uh, that we were there was about six of us that were actually really, really pushing each other and doing a lot of good work. So uh, then we ended up having a studio together for a little while, four of us. Nice. Yeah, it was fantastic, and just uh, produced really cool stuff. And while at Waterloo, you won an award. No. Not for painting. No, no. Actually, that was that was after. That was after. That was after university. Okay. Yeah, but I wanna. 
I was rated the number one DJ and radio personality in Waterloo, Kitchener, Waterloo. Kitchener. And, the, and, and what year was this? Uh, like 2003 or 2004. All right. Yeah, that was for my uh, radio show and DJ night at the, the Jane Bond uh, Cafe Bar, which was a fantastic space there. So I had a radio show on uh, CKMS, the, the campus radio show there. And I had that during when I was at, in university. Okay. I left Waterloo for a couple of years, moved back, mm-hmm. and then uh, pursued it again and uh, to rave reviews, apparently. <laughs> so what took you back to... Okay, so this is your second stint at Waterloo, or second stint in Kitchener-Waterloo. In Kitchener-Waterloo, yeah. Okay, so you yeah. went, I guess you went back to work I, and I, live. I, I moved back to the States for a year, Yeah. tried to figure myself out, Yeah. and then realized, shoot, Christie's in Waterloo, I should be in Waterloo. Ah, Okay. Yeah. It always goes back. It go, to her. always goes back yeah. to her. The smart one. That's right. Um, <laughs> so, what like what what sort of music were you playing? Uh, a lot of, sort of uh, kind of. It was essentially like a indie lo-fi uh, rock show, I guess. All right. But I really played anything. Yeah. The the DJ night. One of the guys there said it was the now sounds from the fifties to the new millennium. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, right? It's a like pretty pretty wide swath. And that's kind of what I did for my radio show as well. It didn't matter what I was uh what I was doing. It was kind of whatever whatever music I wanted to listen to, yeah. I played. And that seemed to resonate with a lot of people. And you also had if, if I remember correctly, you also had a an online show or or, or a Yeah, podcast so or I something? turned into a podcast as yeah. soon as I left Waterloo. I okay. moved to Toronto. Yeah. Uh when Christy went to to school here. Moved with her here, and there was no, I couldn't get into a radio station here. Yeah. I didn't really try that hard. Uh, so I just did podcasting. So I started uh, doing podcasts and playlists early on. What year was this? Uh, 2006, 2007, around there. Wait, now, there, that wasn't like a big thing back then. It was more of a, like the nerds did podcasts. Yeah. And I mean, I don't even know if we really called them podcasts back then. It was really just playlists that I put together. Okay. Just MP3 mashups more than anything. Ah, okay, okay. And then it was just one big MP3 that I used. And then eventually they, they, were called podcasts, which I never really understood, but yeah. that's what they turned into. Okay. And of course, now podcasting is taking on a completely different thing. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's become the new radio medium the, more than anything else. I, what do you, like, I mean, you've, you've sort of seen this from before it was called podcasting to today where, you know, everyone knows about that show Serial just went wildfire, um, and everyone sort of rediscovered this, this medium. Um why has it become so popular, you feel? I think the, the the technology, giving it a name like that is really good because it, it kind of, people can talk about it really simply, right? I mean, there's been there's been podcasts, and there's been radio shows that have made podcasts of their radio show. Like This yeah. American Life is like the, the quintessential NPR perfect show that translates really well to listen to whenever you want. Yeah. You don't have to sit next to the radio to get it. You can go and get your uh, your fill of Ira Glass's awesome voice and the great stories whenever you want. True. Uh, so now it's just become it's just become something that we, we carry around devices that can play this whenever we want. And so to have that snapshot of great content carried around whenever you want to listen to it, if you're on the streetcar, if you're working, or wherever you want, Mm-hmm. It's just, it just makes sense now because you have the technology to play that wherever you are. Yeah. So giving it a name, the technology wrapping around it, and the the ease of creating that content is another huge thing. So you don't have to have a multi-million dollar studio. You don't have to have the, the, the might of the national public radio or the CBC True. behind you. Yeah. 
we can do what we're doing right here. Yeah. Creating content and distributing it in a very, very straightforward and seamless manner. And do you, where, where does that put radio, you feel? I mean, a lot of people talk about, you know, the death of radio and, um, you know, top 40 radio not really progressing anywhere. And, uh, you know, where does talk radio on, on the AM dial go? Um, you know, what are your thoughts on how this medium, the digital online medium, is affecting what happens on AM and FM radio? Uh, I actually don't really care. Uh, moving it forward like that is always a good thing. I don't think that the radio dial is going to die. I think it's going to change and it's going to modify. Really what it turns into is it's kind of like the the here and now content. Yeah. Which gets translated to a podcast, which is the whenever you want content. Yeah. And so people are skipping radio because it's expensive, it's hard, and it's it's time-based. You know, if, if, if I can only get a show on a radio station from 3 a.m. to 5 p.m., I'm not going to have, or 5 a.m., I'm not, I'm not going to have any listeners. Yeah. But if I can take that, drop it into a podcast, yeah. and it gets some spark, and someone loves it and passes it around, I can get lots of listeners through iTunes, through whatever, even just my own website. Yeah. And so that doesn't really matter when it is on the radio to anybody else. It matters to the radio station. So, That's true, yeah. So the radio as a medium isn't going to go anywhere as long as there's cars. And as long as there's offices, because that's where they're consumed right now. Yeah. People, people just flip their car radio on. Granted, there's Sirius and there's XM yeah. radio. There's there's the digital radio. And now there's, you know, CDs and tape decks and radio in, in cars didn't kill the radio stations. And Plug either, in your iPhone through Bluetooth. And that won't do it either. There's yeah. always something to be said for that spontaneity, that kind of garbage yeah. that just sits <laughs> there. And you don't have to pay attention to it. It's like True. driving. You don't actually pay attention that much when you're driving on the highway. Scary. Right. It's super scary if you actually think How the heck it. did I get home? <laughs> That's right, right? But with the radio there, it just kind of just is just kind of filling your filling the car with with sound and stuff. Yeah. It doesn't really matter a lot of the time. And that's where it gets that's where the shift happens because mm-hmm. when you listen to a podcast, you are choosing to somehow download or consume this thing, and you are choosing the content that you are listening to at any one time. Versus radio, where it's it's being given to you. It's three o'clock on a Sunday. Sure. Okay, it's going to be this show. That's it. That's all you can get. Granted, you have fifty dial, fifty stations you can go around to, but it's not going to be what you want. Yeah. Now, and you you have control over that with a CD player, with a tape deck, with an MP3 player, all that stuff. So why shouldn't you have that with your other long form content too? Right. That's true. I'm I'm also curious about where music goes from here, and and, and not not music in general, but like artists. So. You know, you've got these sort of uh, new indie rock sort of music. That's I don't know if it's called indie rock anymore, but like indie type music that'll play. Like we're in Toronto, so you know you got stations like Indie eighty eight. Um, you got CFNY that seems to be going back to its roots, playing indie yeah, type music. Yeah. Uh, but again, you know, it's it's sort of um, you know songs that you really you can find anywhere. Um, but then what about so? And, and I got to thinking, where where. Do artists like, and, and maybe their time has come and gone, but there's still artists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we can even talk about Beck. You know, right. and Beck won the Grammy Award Best New, Al- Best New Album. Yeah. But yeah. not a lot of people heard it because, not because you couldn't find it, but because there was no radio format necessarily that played his music. Right, especially that album. That album's yeah. fantastic, but it's not that radio friendly. No, or even Bruce Springsteen apparently. 
released an album or this past year, maybe two years, um, and no one heard it. Apparently, it was an amazing album, but there's no format, you know, that plays that yeah. sort of music. And I'm curious, you know, because you, you're, you're, you, for me, I consider you sort of a connoisseur of music. You, you always seem to be knowing what's what's up and coming and the latest and some of the newest newest bands and artists. Um, but I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are in terms of today's radio scene in terms of music. Well, ideally, because they're falling away, like you have the top 40 stations which just play that same playlist constantly. And that's all well and good. You're going to get your pop music, you're going to get your you know, ridiculous stuff just kind of pumped in. Yeah. You don't have to think about it. Again, that's that, that's that kind of just like to fill your ears with something, right? Um, where radio can go, and sorry, this is kind of back to combining the two questions, is it could be that kind of curated new music. And that's what it should be in my mind. It should be, fine, it could be new pop. It could be new rap. It can be new country. It can be whatever you want. Yeah. But let professionals, fine, give these people the titles, whatever they want, yeah. to help you know what's new, what's coming out, and then giving you a choice of what you want to delve into and, and learn more about later. Like that Beck album should have gotten lots of play, just not necessarily on, on you know, The Edge or even on, on uh, Indie 88. Yeah, there's a place for it. It's just not there, and there there are new shows that are popping up. I mean, they they're not necessarily new, but they're they're becoming more popular, like on CBC and on NPR down in the states, where they really highlight that, where they will play a whole album that usually would never get any radio time. Yeah, and because and now again, because those are getting podcasts uh, released as well, that's where these are found. People are being able to consume that in a different way, and they're getting curated content. Because you can't, there's no possible way right now yeah. to get all the new music and to figure out all what's coming out. I mean, if you tried, you would just go crazy. And even, I mean, even trying to stay on top of it as much as possible, you, you just can't. There's so much stuff coming out. So having somebody curated a bit for you, whether it's a website like Pitchfork, which is now passe or whatever, the hipsters have left it or embraced <laughs> it, I can't even tell anymore. Yeah. There used to be Rolling Stone. They used to tell you what these, you know, give the That's ratings right. for the new albums. Uh, Billboard magazine, all that kind of stuff for the different genres. That's turning in, you know, that's still there, but also now there's these podcasts and other radio personalities who are saying, hey, this might not play on all these radio stations, but listen to this. Yeah. Here's four bands, here's five bands, here's ten bands, here's a one band that you may not have heard of. This is one album that you just need to consume. I think you'll like it. Here it is. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, and I, and I think that the sort of venue for that is going to be independent. I think you so, know, too. Because radio is all these all this overhead. Yeah. You know, and, and so you, you'll need to have the commercials and so on, right? Yeah, and that's one of the things that I used to do with my show is, is I would play stuff that no one had ever heard of. And maybe, yeah. maybe I had only given a listen to once or twice, so it was part of my discovery to share it with everybody else. So there, there are bands I mean, I like I would never listen to again because it maybe it wasn't that great. Sure. But it did. It served a purpose. I was curating... I was like pre-curating, but also sharing at the same time. Yeah, and I think I think there's a place for that for sure. And podcasting helps do that, and all the barrier to entry has just been demolished. Yeah, which is awesome. Yeah. So so you've you've done sort of the DJing, the music, and um, painting, fine arts, uh, and then we meet back in two thousand and nine, two thousand and ten, in a Starbucks to talk about an app. A web app. A web app, yeah. That, that, that you built. So now where do we, 
where the heck does this come into play? Because you 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 did computer science. You didn't want to do the math. You didn't want to be bothered with it. Um, you, you'd rather be in a room painting rather than in a room programming. Where does one get from painting to developing web apps? Uh, money is where you come <laughs> from. So, well, money and NAFTA. So I knew that I wanted to move back to Canada after okay. I graduated with a fine art degree from Waterloo. Moved down to the States for a year. I was uh, working with a nonprofit down in the States doing art therapy for troubled youth. Okay. And also they're being their webmaster. Back in 2000, they were called webmasters. It was really just I made their website. Okay. But I knew I wanted to come back to Canada. Wait, now where did you learn how to make websites? Oh, I just you know kind of yeah, picked it up as I went. I mean, that was part of the that was part of the computer science that I really liked. It wasn't the, okay. It wasn't the logic. It wasn't the flow. I got that. I figured that out. That's fine. I didn't care about the theories and the math and all of that. I just liked the the programming of websites. I liked that I could the design, the, the HTML and the style mm. of that exactly. So I you think. go from designing on canvases right to designing on screens. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Right. I can get that. So. Uh, three of my friends from university, they're like, hey, look, we need jobs too. Let's make a company. And so in 2001, I started my company, Big Time Design and Communication. And really, I didn't start it. Yeah. Technically, and if the government's listening, I didn't start it. Yeah. My three friends did, and they hired me the day that I came into Canada. And because of the way that the free trade agreement, NAFTA, worked back then, yeah. is I was a specialized case because I had a fine art degree. I was a, I was a unique uh, individual that could not be hired in the general populace. I had a special skill set. Ah. And so they could hire me directly. And even though I was American, I got a work visa super easy because I was a graphic designer that had an artistic background. And I got hired by my three friends with the company that I helped start. Yeah. The next day I was a director in the company and a part owner. Yeah. And actually only one of them ever worked for the company. The other two guys uh, had to do other things right away. So one of them is currently uh, in the BC legislature. Oh my goodness. Yeah. He's, he's <laughs> fantastic. He became a lawyer yeah. and then became political and is now uh, one of the in the in the BC like like a lawmaker for yeah. British Columbia. He's fantastic. David E. B. Look him up. He's amazing. All right, we'll check him out. Uh, other friend got into the insurance game. He's an adjuster in Ottawa okay. for uh, Sun Life Financial, I yeah. believe. And then my other friend uh, Adrian, who I used to, who was actually a part of Big Time for a while. He's a tech writer and uh, working in uh, web design and tech in uh, Waterloo still. Oh wow! He actually has twin sons as well. So oh my a, goodness! Yeah, weird thing. So, came in 2001, started my company, Big Time Design and Communication. Yeah. And from that, started building websites, doing graphic design for people, posters, uh, websites, brochures, stuff like that. Yeah. And eventually, that was great because it could follow me around as I followed my wife around. So, as she would move to Toronto. It's I an online just, business. Yeah. Bring my company with me. Nice. And from there, the entire time, I was always thinking about things to build. Mm-hmm. Like I said, my dad has his entrepreneurial spirit. He started uh, a couple really large nonprofits and big organizations down in the States and, and internationally. And he always instilled in me this thing like, Shh, just build yourself up. Like, what do you want to do? Build it. Go do it. Like, there's nothing stopping you. Just try, try, yeah. try. And uh, building things back then was way different than it is now. Now, you can build whatever you want, whenever you want. You just have to find a couple developers, a designer, a few other guys around you, and you can build it launch it and try it in a week and if it doesn't get, get traction you can try something new mm-hmm. back then it was a little more difficult and so we started trying to build some products and had a little bit of, a little bit of success and a little bit of failures 
And when I moved back to Toronto, had a few ideas and it just kind of took shape with uh, this product, which we called at that point uh, Pulse. So it was called something else. It was called Radar at first. Radar. That's it's right. Called, it was called, so this was one of my many <laughs> cease and desists. Uh, it's called Radar, and the logo happened to be exactly like a different product called Radar because it's a palindrome, R-A-D-A-R. Yeah. So we flipped the R, right? The back R. So it looks like a mirrored thing, right? Oh, Someone else did that before. Creative. Everybody's done that. So <laughs> got a cease and desist about that. Had to rename it. Renamed it Pulse. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, everything was named Pulse. There's like 45 different products named Pulse right now. <laughs> so... Had built that, and that's how we got in touch because that yeah. was a social media communication platform. That was exactly how we met. Yeah, that's right. That's when you were really like you were the guy on Twitter for in Toronto for a long time. Like, yeah, I was. How, yeah, I was writing for a, a online tech magazine. That's right. And you guys got and, and you were the only ones that came to see me. Yeah, <laughs> <because> we were, <laughs> I was excited. Not only was your name Kareem, which yeah. is pretty awesome because I like that name. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, you you were somebody who was approachable. Yeah. And I thought it was a really great, and I still, I still think today it is a great idea. I think so too. And <laughs> and it's just a matter of what, when, when can this, um, when can this happen, you know? And and I th- and I think the time is now because there's stuff happening, um, like for example, on, I do a lot of work with in, in social media for big brands, and and one of the things that they want to do is is how do we take our customers, find them on Facebook, uh, and and then really. Um, tighten that relationship yeah and so there's things called custom audiences that every time that thing comes up i remember pulse yeah <laughs> this pulse does this thing man we, we did that we did that back back in the day when social media was just brand new and everybody was trying to figure out what the heck it could do yeah and i mean there's that that happens all the time and i don't begrudge that i mean i'm not trying to toot my own horn but we were early let's toot your own horn <laughs> okay fine we were early i came up with that idea pretty early on in the social sphere and with my other partners, we were we were pushing some envelopes. It was hard to explain what we were trying to do. Yeah, and that happens all the time. Like just the other day, I had an idea. I pitched it to people, to my friends. Like I was like, "Hey, you guys, we should try this out." Yeah. A week later, oh, it's on Product Hunt, and there it is. It's exact same idea, and someone's doing it, and they're charging money for it, and it's a nice little business for them. And yeah. Like, okay. Well, that validates my idea again. That, that and means again that and means again. it works. Yeah. Exactly. And that's 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 one of the best things. I mean, what what Pulse really showed me is that you can meet a lot of great people and like-minded individuals with a, with a really good idea. And that's one of the regardless. I mean, we ended up changing the name of it. We sold it off. Uh, it it got it had some success. Mm-hmm. Ended up by ended up selling out of it. I'm no longer a part of it. I still own some of the code, which is fantastic. So it doesn't it won't ever die, yeah. which is really important to me. Um, but it just really validated that through a really a really interesting idea, you can meet a lot of great people that that can see what you're trying to do and, and can can see that vision and can see that you have a spark, an idea, like you do. You yeah. know, that's why we can talk about this stuff so easily because you have that same kind of vision and mentality around these type of things. Mm-hmm. It's not why won't that work? That comes later. Yeah. It's wow, that's super cool. How can we make this happen? How can, yeah, that's right. Like, I, how can we do this? Yeah. And that's one of those things where, and again, part of that comes from my family, the creative spirit, all that stuff. It all kind of just bundles together. And that optimism that everything, not everything that I do is going to be great. I don't, sure. I don't believe that, not for a heartbeat. Yeah. But I have the tools in me to figure out when it's not going to work and to get out of it quick enough, I think. Yeah. All, uh, without the... 
without the hubris. That's what gets gets in the way for a lot of these things. You can get out of things really quickly. You can try them. You give positive or negative critique around it. Yeah. You, you figure out where it can go, and then you get out. Yeah. And I think that's what we we try to do pretty well with Pulse. I think we did a pretty good job of getting out when we needed to get out. Granted, this the whole thing swung back around, and right now it would be a pretty big product, I think. I think so. <laughs> We still but got hey, the code. I still have the code, right. So, we could, we so could maybe. It. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> just pick a name that no one has. Yeah, oh, jeez. <laughs> just, just a bunch of vowels. Or no no vowels. That's right. Like my other products. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you got a bunch of other products as well. Um, is there, and, and you've done tons. And we can you know spend the next 20 minutes talking <laughs> about each product and where it is or what. But is there one that um, that you want to talk about that's real, that you feel is... is is about to pop or or that you find that there's going to be a sustained need for? There's one that I use a lot that we haven't really pushed or marketed to anybody else. And that's that's Giraffe Neck. Yeah. Uh, no vowels. And not only do I love the name because it's a fantastic name, G-R-F-F-N-C-K. <laughs> Every time I think about that, I just love it. <laughs> uh, but it's one of those things I, I use all the time. And essentially what it does is it breaks down your, your, social, your social graph. Yeah, and uh, allows you to index it and search it. So if I'm looking for uh, a designer in Toronto, I can search for that, and it goes through my social graph. It goes through Facebook, LinkedIn. So people you're Twitter, connected with, people you're connected with, yeah, and and pulls out the designers in Toronto, and mm-hmm. you can search through that, and you can connect with them right away. And if I don't know your Twitter handle, it doesn't matter. I can search for you based on your context. Uh. And now there's a lot of ways we can go with this. And, you know, it's one of those things where time and money, if we had more time and we had more money and could invest more time in it, it could be a much bigger thing. But it doesn't need to be right now. So I use it all the time simply because it, it, it covers my it need helps really, you. really well. Yeah. Which is where most of these things start, right? It's like That's I, exactly I right. got a pain pulse. Let me f- build something that could help me, you know, be more productive. Yeah. You want to scratch your own itch. Yeah. And there's, there's some initial validation in that. Whether it can be a full-fledged product, that's a whole different story. And actually, that's one of the things I'm doing a lot right now is doing a lot of consulting work mm. with companies and with startups to try to help them with their product design phase. And that's one of my biggest passions right now. It's taking all the stuff that I've learned trying to build out all these products, yeah. sc- taking out all the personal stuff and coming out with a, a product design flow kind of based on IDEO and Google Ventures and the Stanford you know, design methods and all that kind of thing, but using design thinking to help build better products. And I'm working with a bunch of startups and a bunch of larger corporations to do that. Nice. Yeah. Anyone you can talk about? Uh, no. <laughs> not, right, not right now. There's some big stuff coming out, but yeah. uh, nothing nothing I can talk about right now that, that's, that's uh, either launched or that's I saw your out. name on a website for a sauce or something. Oh, no, no, for spices. Yeah. So spices? That's another startup I'm a part of. Uh, actually, yeah, David's Condiments. So it's a, a business friend of mine that we worked together on, a, on an organization a, a while ago. Yeah. He builds, uh, well, he did, He builds, yeah, he built a spice. Like, he, he creates spices. Wow. And they're all heart healthy, low, low sodium. Yeah. So they're, they're, they're good for your, like, they're not packed with nitrates and all that salt and stuff like that. Sure. And so he's, he's been a, it's a huge success now. We're in Canada and the U.S. I've been his uh, digital kind of partner and web guy for the past, I guess, five years now since oh, he wow. started, since he was in his kitchen making his making his David's spicy steak spice. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I'm a proud partner of that. That's for sure. It's 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 most interesting startup I'm probably a part of because it's not a digital thing. You know, it's not like this is around Twitter, or this is about Facebook, or this is about it, like some website. No, 
It's spice. It's a spice. It's a spice. We're and it, selling a product. Yeah, you can find it at like Longos. You can find it at Loblaws. You can find it everywhere. Wow. Now, <laughs> you, you, so you're doing, but you're doing more client work, I guess. Services, servicing clients. Yeah, that, that's that's primarily what we what, what my my team in our studio does now. Yeah, yeah we're, we do a lot of different client work. We're still working with a lot of startups, but other big brands and stuff like that. And essentially, people come to us with a problem, and we try to solve it. Mm-hmm. And we try to solve it in the best way we know how, which is usually digitally. But if it's not, if it's just strategy, if it's just a marketing plan, if it's heck, if it's not even doesn't even involve anything like that, and they just need to just focus a yeah. bit differently, we'll tell them that. So you almost how long have you been in Toronto now? Let's since the last like ten years almost. Uh, with the with a gap, more like eight. Eight, eight years. years. Yeah. Seen any changes? Tons. Techno- tons of changes. Not yeah. in terms of just the whole city, but in terms of like what you're doing, like with technology design and things like that. Yeah, it's it's crazy. So I remember you know coming to Toronto, uh, back from New Haven when I when I lived here the first time from I guess it was 2007 to 2009 or 2008 something like that. Um, I had no, there was no way to connect with everybody. There was a lot of stuff going on. There were people building stuff. There was the tech scene here, but I was, it was so disparate. It wasn't connected at all. And then coming, moving back up and using social media to try to, to try to find out where everybody was. And that's yeah. how, again, like that's how I met you, right? That's yeah. how I, that's how I met my current, one of my other business partners, Carrie. And you know, all that was straight through Twitter and straight through connections like that. Mm-hmm. And, <clears throat> That was a that was a huge turning point at that time because you could find like minded people, yeah. And you would see that this the Toronto had something really special going on, mm-hmm. but it was tight. It was really really tight. I mean, there used to be like there'd be like five or six or seven meetups a week, and you try to get to all of them, and you really could, yeah. And most of them would be the same kind of crew of people around there, which was cool because you got to talk to lots of people. You got to really get to know these guys and men and women all uh, all over the place, yeah, really well. Now, though, I think there's been a significant shift, and it's gotten huge. I mean, the, the, the scene in Toronto now is just, it's, it's business. It is business, because you can make it here. Yeah. It's, uh, the, you know, they, they call it Silicon Valley North or wherever the garbage that is. It's yeah. different. This is Toronto. We're yeah. different here. Yeah. And it feels different. And it's just so much bigger now. And there, there are still, there are the, the, the scrappers that I met when I first came here. We were just, you know, we'd build stuff randomly or we'd have meetups or, yeah. you know, work on different methodologies and things like that. We've all kind of gone out and done our own thing. And, you know, guys have been, had to have, uh, have had companies that have failed and have companies that have been sold and have made millions of dollars and have lost millions of dollars and yeah. done, done everything. And then you think, oh, geez, well, okay, well, where's the new kids? Well, they're there too. They're, the same group of people are still there. There's yeah. there's ten times more of them, and they're they're still doing the same thing. There's different meetups. There's different groups. So it's just become a mature environment hmm. in a very different way. You know, it, it starts to resemble the big business that's here, like finance and things like that. Yeah, because that was always here. And you had you know the young financial upstarts, but you also had the the old guard and all that kind of stuff. True. So, um, so we're good, right? Oh, we're bad. Hold on a second. Okay, so um, I just came by your new office. Yeah. Last week. Yeah. Is it is it new anymore? Well, it's a month old. It's yeah. a, oh, okay. So it is new. It's pretty new. Okay. We haven't, we haven't done anything to the walls yet. No. So it looks pretty bare. You, you don't there. have grass yet. Oh, we don't in have there. Turf. Oh, well, you'll have that. Soon. So jealous. Um, and we and we started talking about a bunch of stuff, right? We started talking about. Um, Apple, the Apple Watch, Pebble, Kickstarter, and all these sorts of things. Um, 
Well, let's let's talk with Pebble because I remember when you got the Pebble, and I go, "What the heck do you need a a smartwatch for?" Yeah. And now I love the Pebble. I got one on a boring. I I funded the second one. <laughs> I'm excited for that to come in. A uh, bunch of all these wearable stuff. Um, your your thoughts on is 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 it fair that there's a Pebble versus Apple debate going on? And I don't know if there's really a debate, but there's a lot of articles. Um, what are your yeah. thoughts on that? Uh, I hate that kind of stuff. I, I don't I don't buy into that. Granted, there's always going to be that competition and there's always going to be that comparison. Yeah. But it's a ridiculous comparison. Pebble is never going to beat Apple at a technology. It's, they're just not. Sure. Pebble does their thing and they do it really, really well. Mm-hmm. Apple does everything really, really, really <laughs> well. But it's a different thing. It's a, you know, Pebble, when it first came out, like you said, like I was super excited about it. Because I could control my music through my phone and yeah. see notifications, get my emails or, uh, through my watch and all that stuff. Yeah, that's actually one of the biggest use cases for me. If I'm riding my bike, yeah, or if I'm talking to somebody and I yeah. get an email, I don't have to pull out my phone. I just look at my watch. Yeah. Oh, quick! That was a, that was a text. It was from a client. Okay, fine. I can look at it if I want to. If it's from my wife, I'm going to look at it right away. Yeah. Right. If it's like things like that. Sure. Um, which is really, really handy. Just a really nice, uh, nice feature, and not everybody needs one. That that's it's not going to be a ubiquitous thing. It's Absolutely, not, it's not going to be like a phone. It's just no. not going to be that way. It's a, it's a nice accessory. But no it, one no one needed the iPad. No, but the iPad filled a niche that was lacking for a long time. Like that was something where I like having a phone, which is cool that connects to the internet. I like having my laptop, which I can move around. But there's that there's that gap in the middle. Like I don't want to have my laptop on my lap when when I'm watching TV or when I'm watching sports. Yeah. And consuming that kind of stuff, that kind of flow or um, information on my phone is okay. But it's way better on an iPad it, as a second screen experience or as, yeah. a, as a as a portable thing. I carry my iPad around the house all the time. It's super dorky, I, I guess, if I think about it. Yeah. But I have recipes on there if I'm cooking. Sure. I have music on there. I have. Movies, if I want to, I like if my wife is watching something crappy on TV, I'm jumping on it, and I'm I can still hang out with her on the couch, but I'm watching my own thing. True, that kind of stuff is really really interesting. And so when you start to go into the other peripherals, if you start talking about watches, yeah, the things that tie into the core pieces of te- technology, like your phone and your laptop, now mm-hmm. I've, I, those are core things. Now you can't not have them. Sure, you I mean you can, but really you can't. Yeah. Um, now you start to talk about that kind of that next level stuff. It's that next level. It's the I want more. I want to be. I'm okay with being connected all the time. I just want to consume that stuff differently. And that's where the watches are really interesting. Hmm. Now the Apple Watch is going to do a lot more that the Pebble Watch can't do. Sure. But from Pebble's own admission, that's okay. That's fine. Like the Pebble Watch does what it does, and it does it really, really well. It's not going to be, you know, super smart. It's not going to have you know, 18 different things that connect to your iPhone. It's going to have 10 things that connect to your any phone, which is really cool. That's yeah. great. And that's what that is. The Apple Watch is going to be something very, very different. It's going to be a status symbol a little bit. It's going to be it's more expensive. It has, a, it has a higher cachet attached to it. It's not for tech people. Because of the brand, yeah. That's exactly right. And that's fine, too. There's a reason why there's Timex watches and there's a reason why there's Rolex watches. Those are different things for different people, and they function in different ways. Yeah. And I think that's really, really cool that a company like Pebble can use Kickstarter and use kind of like just be scrappy. 
that that they can just be scrappy and they can they can have a fine business with that. They're not going to be billionaires. They're not going to do whatever. They can be have a fine business. They can do cool things and be scrappy like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, heck, that's a microcosm of how a bunch of us work. That's how I work. I'm yeah. not a big company. I don't work for a huge agency. I don't work for one of the big marketing firms or anything like that. We we are small. We are scrappy. We can do things for big brands that bigger agencies can't do. That's really what Pebble and can do. And still be successful. And still, still have that level of, of success that yeah. you know, puts food on my table and makes me relatively comfortable, Yeah, which is really, really awesome. And hmm. I, I think, so going past just the watches to, like you mentioned, other wearables and stuff like that, yeah. right now it's kind of the Wild West of that thing because you're getting people who can use Kickstarter and use these different methods to produce these peripheral devices that connect to our every digital experience, which is really, really awesome. But a bunch of them are garbage. I mean, they really <laughs> are. And, I, and, I've, and I've bought a bunch of them that are pointless. Yeah. Like, I have that ring. It's a gesture ring. You put it on your finger, you can do gestures. Yeah. I think that's amazing. I love the idea of, like, the Iron Man. You know, in my mind, I'm like Iron Man. Like, so does it know, work? It works, yeah. kind of, for, like, five tasks. Okay. But then you're waggling your finger around. Your finger gets really tired. This big, <laughs> clunky ring on it. and. I love the idea of it. That was what was important. Yeah. Was the idea of it. And, you know, I got to be, I got invited to be one of the uh, Google, Google Glass Explorers. Yes. And I wear it around my house. I wear it around my house because I have kids. And I can, I have to, I was carrying them around. They were infants. They were babies. I was carrying them around all the time. Yeah. But if I still wanted to check out my messages, things like that, I needed to go hands-free and my glass let me do it. Nice. It was perfect. I would not wear it around. I wouldn't wear it around. You know, yeah, you want to wear it social no. or... No nope. work on the streetcar. Nope. It was awkward. It was weird. I felt I felt awkward about it. Yeah. Not because of the whole privacy stuff. Not because of you know I'm filming people. I'm being creepy. Yeah. Simply because I felt awkward wearing it. It wasn't mm. something that I didn't think it looked good, and the functionality of it in the external world. Yeah. Was superfluous to me. I had my watch. I had my phone. I got that information that way. Interesting. In my house, it's perfect. I still wear it around the house. Wow. My wife thinks I'm a dork. I don't care. <laughs> Still wear around the house. It's amazing. Still to check for your messages. Exactly. And like if I'm if I'm feeding my boys breakfast and yeah. Arsenal's playing and I want to know what, if, who scored, I can get that right away. Yeah. That you know I just deleted that. I was going to ask you why you're an Arsenal fan, but because <laughs> they're I, the greatest. I, I they're the greatest football team ever. That's I, let's, why. I don't want to edit this podcast, cream. So let's <laughs> let's let's leave, let's leave that. Um, you know, we, we we talked about you know Pebble using using Kickstarter as a business and. Um, you know, we, we know that, um, you know, based on an announcement that they're going to come out with a smart strap, um, at the end of this year, I think I've been told, um, whether they put that on Kickstarter or, or sell it through their website yeah. or something else. But you, what are you, what are your thoughts on crowdfunding? It's, it's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing tool where, we, you know, we've seen, um, a lot of, a lot of social things come out of it, you know, where people, you know, raising money, like, so in, um. There's, there's a company called Tilt and, uh, you know, was recently in the news uh, to raise funds for, for a family whose child, um, you know, unfortunately uh, found himself outside mm-hmm. during a very cold snap. Yeah. And, you know, something good sort of came out of a technology like that. Um, you know, but, and, then, and then you've got companies that literally use it as a PR, you know, that are doing well. Yeah. Uh, but will, you know, put together a Kickstarter campaign. Um, you know whether a product comes out or not, or whether it's delivered or on time or not, but with the with the sole understanding that this is amazing PR. Yeah, I think that's a fantastic kind of offshoot. Like that's a that's a really interesting way to use that. Yeah, right? I, I I think it's phenomenal. I really do. I it it gets... has it changed business though? Do you, do you think it? 
Um, I, I guess so. Yeah, it'd be I'd be remiss to say it didn't because mm-hmm. I could never throw twenty bucks at a product and see it being built a year later. Yeah, you know, like I have I've sponsored a few of them from a, a really thin wallet out of Brooklyn, all the way to the thing that I'm most excited about are Bluetooth in ear. Oh yeah, earbuds. The, the from dash. Europe. Oh my gosh, I, I I have this perception that those things are going to change my life. They, they're not going to. I know, I know that. In, yeah. the, in the back of my mind, I know they are not going to. But, oh, my gosh. I can't I'm wait for those. I, right? I did that as well. But you, well, my f- favorite one has nothing to do with technology. Shoes made in India. Beauty. Right? Yeah. yeah. That's fantastic. You know, let's, they were, it, it was a whole idea of we're going to use this to hire people that live in these neighborhoods that have been making shoes in their families for years. But now, shoemaking has gone to big companies, and we'll we'll hire the, hire them to make shoes just for you. Yeah, so like that kind of that kind yeah. of exposure, and that kind of the ability to give those people money and exposure, and for them to create products is just so incredible. So, in that regard, I, I mean, you you can't begrudge that kind of effort. Yeah, and in regard, I mean, whenever you have that kind of feel good story, you're also going to have the complete opposite of Nike doing the same thing, like. Yeah, uh, you know, I'm surprised Nike didn't put the self the the Back to the Future shoes on Kickstarter. Sure, they would have made a they would have made a million dollars in like thirty seconds. Like yeah. they, everybody would have wanted a pair of those, and they could have done that, but they thankfully they didn't. I guess, but I, I love it. I think it's fantastic, um, and I think it's it was only a matter of time. Like there were organizations that were doing it for donations, like Kiva and things like that. Yeah, and they were they were having really great, great success. Yeah. I mean, that, that was those were all precursors to it. Mm-hmm. Essentially, once the financial stuff and the tax issues and all that stuff got out of the way, now you can crowdfund stuff. And I think it's I think it's brilliant. I think it's it's really great. Uh, it's really really difficult to do it successfully. We see we hear the success yeah. stories. We hear Pebble. We hear all this stuff. It is there's hard. tons of them. That that don't do well. It is really hard. Like one of the, my favorite things is Patreon. I don't Patreon. I don't know how you say it. Yeah, yeah, that's a crowdfunding thing, isn't it? Yeah, but it's yeah, for yeah. artists. Yeah. So it's for artists who create content. Yes. And you know, a lot of web comics are doing this, so that every time they put out a, co- a comic, if I pay five bucks, every time they put out a comic, I I get charged five dollars and I get something special. Like I get I get the comic early. Oh. I get a signed copy sometime of the year. Things like that. I know that Jesse Brown funds his podcast. Exactly. There's some really neat things like that. Yeah. And, 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 you know, changing the paradigm from either, like, consumer goods or technology into the arts is fantastic. I mean, uh, the the, patri- the the idea of a, pa- a patron has been around for, you know, for so hundreds true. of years. That's so true. And so that's now, how big things got done back in the exactly day. That's exactly right. You that's, can't go find the new world without a patron. No, that is exactly right. Whether yeah. it was royalty or just some some rich landowner, yeah. that was your patron. Like that's how things got done. And so now being able to spread that around to everybody is really really interesting because that's what you're doing. Yeah. You're a patron for technology. You're a patron for the shoemaker. It doesn't matter. It, if you think about it in that regard, that's really what crowdfunding is. I am throwing my money behind something that I agree with. And I can do that with five dollars, ten dollars, a hundred dollars versus a million dollars, or you know, or, or tons of money that I don't have. Yeah. So I get to be involved in the process now, which is fantastic. Awesome. And I mean, really, that comes down to just the accessibility. Like the internet allows that stuff to happen. I mean, again, to not to go too huge with it, but thank you for the internet, right? Like <laughs> that's how it all comes together. Yes. It's, it's a level playing field for so many things and for just general information. We Al- take for so granted all the time. And we have to thank Al Gore, didn't thank we? Thank you. Thank you, Al Gore. Al Gore of for inventing the internet. Yeah. 
We appreciate that. Um, we've been talking for almost an hour. Just got a couple of things, really. Um, but I guess where where do you see? What actually? Let me ask you this: What excites you now? What excites me now? Yeah, like in ter- I mean, there's so many things going on. Um, you know, just here in Toronto, we can talk about technology. Uh, we can talk about um, that our mayor is not in the news anymore. <laughs> that's exciting. Um, yeah. You know, we, we, the there, tunnel, that weird tunnel that the, somebody the weird, built. The yeah. weird tunnel. Okay, so let's talk about the tunnel. <laughs> I actually don't know much about it. Well, Other, no, no one knows really. No one knows, right? But just everyone two guys a, just did it, right? Everyone had opinions. Yeah. About the tunnel. Yeah. And what it could have meant. And obviously one of the biggest things that came up was terrorists. It's close oh, to York University. It's sure, close to Tunis. Sure. Um, and, and I'm starting to have a problem now with this whole idea of of terrorism. You know, and you're and just starting to have that problem now. I'm, ha- I'm having it now because I didn't <laughs> I didn't have a problem with it because it was like, yeah, whatever, people understand. But now it's like if a and, and excuse me for this, but it's it's so true I feel. If a crazy white guy mm-hmm. um, goes crazy and, and shoots up a couple of people, it is it's violence. Yeah. Or, 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 it's, or a, it's a crazy guy. Or it's a crazy guy. Yeah. You paint that guy brown. Yeah. And it's terrorism. Terrorism. 100%. Uh, it's crazy. And I never thought that I would say, and, and, and a friend had asked me, and I responded on Facebook, and I said, it pains me, and it's something to the effect of, it pains me to say this, but... You know, I live in Canada, so I can only speak to where I live. Mm-hmm. That Canada is, is 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 more racist than I think we'd like to admit, because we've got people like the Prime Minister of Canada saying that it upsets him that a Muslim lady wears a hijab. Um, wh- why only a Muslim lady? Yeah. Um, you know, why a lady of you know uh, with brown skin upsets him? Right. Um, but other things don't, and and why does it matter that it upsets him? What you know, it's 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 legal, it's legal to to do so. So I don't know why he's upset. You know, his personal opinions. His personally he doesn't need to tell the the news. Uh, uh, you know, in an interview format that he's got a problem with it because then that yeah. that impacts um, a, a lot of things. And I think he's pandering. You know, to um, the conservative of crazy yeah, white guy. Exactly. Yeah. You know, fear, fear and really yeah, fear mongering, of course. And and, and the media is no better at it. No, the media no. does the same they jump thing. Right on that. And yep. unfortunately, um, they're not the official opposition, but the Liberal Party they do the same thing. They say let's let's go to where you, you know, the votes are and the, and the simple play rather than having a very civilized and intellectual debate uh, about these things. Yeah, that that typically stere- that, that stereotypically Canadian outlook out, outlook to an uh, to a, to an issue, which isn't the case. No, like as a as a new Canadian, I mean technically I'm a new Canadian. I became a citizen in 2009. And yeah, growing up growing up in the states, I Canada yeah. was always the, that funny place up north, whatever, <laughs> right? But I'm proud to become. I, I chose to become a Canadian, and we're not as great as we think we are, and that's a really and, and, and there's been a shift. Yes. Still a fantastic place. I'm so oh, proud to be a Canadian. I, I love living here. However, yeah. we are we're resting on our laurels yes. that we are that we are kind and peacekeepers and we're nice and the, and the the entire world loves us. That is eroding and that is eroding quickly. And that's yeah. because of these type of mentalities. Exactly what you're talking about. That kind of the ability that our prime minister says thinks it's okay to say those type of things yeah. in in the public eye. Yeah. I mean, granted, he can say whatever he wants. Sure. That's, that's hooray for freedom. 
that's great, right? Absolutely. But that's ridiculous at the same time. That, that That's even tolerated. Yeah, and, and, and I think he knows. And whether or not he's has a problem with it is one thing. I, I don't think he does, but I think he says it because he knows the political ramifications for that. And I believe that, you know, he's doing it because he knows that that's where his votes are. And and it's very interesting. You know, we like you said, you know, we believe that Canada is one thing, but, you know, time and time again, we vote for conservative governments. Yeah. Um, and, and that, you know, that says something to the sorts of things that, that drive us as humans. And, and what is it? Is that fear of the unknown? Is that love of what we have? Um, you know, so that's that's very interesting, and and I wish this was sort of a political show, and I'm not a political guy. At all. <laughs> I love The West Wing; it's a great show. Yeah. Um, you know, but you know, that's that's not sort of where my, where my sort of knowledge lies. But it but it really upsets me when when I see things like this from our politicians, uh, you know, from our media, and no one really sorts. And, and when they get called out, it's like, well, you're pandering, you know, to to terrorists. Yeah, you're part of the problem now. You're protecting. Yeah, you're either like with us or with Yeah, that kind of yeah, garbage. And yeah. that really and that really upsets me. But otherwise, what excites you? <laughs> right, what excites me? Um, I, I think it all again. It just if I if I'm honest with myself, it boils down to, to creativity. Yeah. Uh, it, whether that's technology or that's music or that's art or that's you know anything, it's just it's it's the 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 creative process and what comes out of that. That's what excites me. I, I love, I love seeing the new stuff that's being created in this city. Yeah. Again, just just that creation that happens. I love this. The works we're able to do this in Girth Radio. Right? Yeah. Like I love that this is a, a a place that exists. I love that there are, uh, you know, every day you hear of new success stories in business and startups and technology that that happen here and that that are starting to get fostered here. And I love that. I know people who are helping foster that and helping to build that, and that's really like, that, that's really that, that that that's what it boils down to. I love the the creativity and the creation that happens. That's oh. what excites me. Awesome. Let's uh, let's end it off with this. You you obviously have a love of music. You're a DJ. You're an award winning <laughs> DJ. Um, is there, is there a single in a band that that uh, that you that you really like these days? Well, there, there's there's tons, but there's a definite earworm that's been uh, being played often for me right now. For off the off the new pornographer's latest album, uh, Brill Bruisers. That track just gets me every time. Awesome. So let's end the show with that. Thanks for coming in. Perfect. Thank you, man.
Bang on, impression of a young sorrow. It's tied in 